0: welcome to a rumor of empathy today's show is entitled how to know if you are in an abusive relationship and what to do about it it's a rebroadcast of a conversation from may 2015 with radhika sharma of apna gar where she is the director of education the matter of domestic violence also called intimate partner violence is even more urgent today second quarter 2021 than when this conversation was originally recorded. Why, you may ask. One reason is survivors and victims of intimate partner violence have been forced, constrained by the situation of the 2020 pandemic to shelter in place with their abusers and perpetrators, making this difficult matter even more urgent today. Therefore, I thank you for engaging with the material and becoming better informed to take action in the community. Welcome to the show.
1: Now, here is Lou Augusta.
0: Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Lou Augusta with A Rumor of Empathy. My special guest today is Rathika Sharma. I'm going to give Rathika a formal introduction. Rathika is the manager of education and training at Apnagar. Apnagar is Hindu Urdu for Our Home, an agency here in the Chicagoland geography that provides counseling, legal advocacy, shelter, and supervised visitation to address the needs of immigrant and refugee victims and survivors of gender-based violence. Rathika has served on the board of the Chicago Foundation for Women, where she established the Asian American Leadership Council. She was recognized by the then Cook County Commissioner as an unsung heroine in the year 2000. Rathika led community health and violence prevention efforts in Chicago's Albany Park neighborhood, an entry point for many immigrant and refugees and one of the most diverse zip codes in the USA. In addition to her work at Apnagar, Rathika is a professor in community health and wellness at Northeastern Illinois University. Welcome to the show, Rathika.
1: Thank you so much, Lucy
0: great to have you here. Let's get right into it. What's the history of the organization Upnagar?
1: Upnagar was established by five Asian-American women back in 1989 when there were increasing reports of intimate partner violence being experienced by Indian and Pakistani women uh, detected through both a helpline started by a community volunteer in DuPage County, Prem Sharma, called the Indo Crisis Line, as well as by social service professionals here in Chicago and a professor at Truman College. They came together and established Upnagar in order to provide linguistically and culturally accessible services for many women who were afraid that they couldn't go to mainstream shelter, domestic violence shelters, because they couldn't follow their dietary laws. They or or their languages uh, weren't spoken there, and so uh, many of them were resisting getting services. And so Upnagar was created in order to have a place where those women could speak their language and receive services and receive shelter in a home where they could observe their halal or Hindu vegetarian diet
0: hmm I see well, that puts me in mind of several things. I mean, first of all, due diligence. you mention a hotline. Maybe we should call out uh, the emergency hotline if any in the listener audience feels that they are the target of domestic violence they're not sure they want to talk. there is an ongoing issue or uh, confronting thing somewhere where they could call and be heard and listened to.
1: Absolutely. Upnagar's hotline for people living outside of Chicago is 800-717-0757. And our phone number here in Chicago is 773-334-4663.
0: And it might be useful at this point to mention, if somebody just wants to check out additional background, Opnagar has a presence on the Internet, on the web. I can give that. I mean, you can go there and read stuff. The hotline, of course, and contact data is also uh, provided there, there's information about services, how to get involved. For example, tomorrow there's an event. In, 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 today's date is uh, actually May 5th. Now, uh, no, excuse me, uh, the 6th. Uh, today is May 6th. For those who are in the Chicago geography and are available tomorrow, May 7th, there's an event at the Chicago Cultural Center sponsored by the Taste of Life, uh, entitled at, at "A Taste for Life," sponsored by APNAGAR, That uh, now. If If you're listening to this on replay, that opportunity will already have uh, occurred. However, there are other ways of getting involved, of contributing, if what you hear, if what the listener hears in the course of our conversation is moving and inspiring in that direction. And I submit to you respectfully that it is uh, Apnagar spelled apnagar. A is in apple, P is in Pete, N is in Nebraska, A is in Apple, G is in George, H is in Henry, A is in Apple, R is in Robert.org. Apnagar one word dot O R G. So there's additional background. So we've got the due diligence information out of the way. What I so let me go back to what I heard you saying. So here we have individuals who may lack fluency with the English language. They're strangers in a strange land from a foreign country, largely women uh, who find themselves uh, in a difficult confronting relationship where they're not being treated right, they're being treated badly. Boundary violations, boundary issues, we'll talk more about that, we'll define our terms. and. Why why might people be reluctant, for example, to dial 911 or call the police?
1: there's so many reasons uh why uh victims don't call the police unfortunately either they aren't aware of their rights often uh uh there are different types of abusers but there are those abusers who will lie and say that oh if you're undocumented you'll be deported if you report me or they will you know tell them no this is my right i'm your husband you know whatever the case yeah. may be So either they are led to believe or they just simply do not know about their rights or they think they don't have the right. And then um, there is fear that the police won't protect them, won't respond, because there were the days, especially in the past, when the police would simply take the abuser for a walk around the corner to cool down as though it were just an issue of hot-temperedness and and, uh, not be as likely to arrest. Obviously, protocols are changing now. I think that's Um, an
0: important point to make. Yeah. So, so, I I mean, mean, pardon me, I'm interrupting you, but...
1: No, that's fine. It's very important. I mean, protocols are changing now, and the city of Chicago is slowly going to be uh, increasing the training for police officers. But right now... Um, you know, the training uh, could really be stepped up in terms of helping police respond to domestic violence, supporting police and letting them know what the protocols are, how they should respond, what the protocols are for uh, responding to uh, victims who do not speak English, etc. I mean, there are federal and city and state guidelines that uh, the officers uh, could and should follow. So we know that um, things are better now than they were. There's always room for improvement. But anyway, well, I said, people might yes. be reluctant to call the police because either, you know, they don't, they, they, they don't have faith that the police will actually protect them or they're afraid that their abuser will step up and say, oh, you know. The abuser often will have had access to English language training or will be fluent in English and will be the one who can uh, communicate better with the police immediately. Or people are coming from home countries where uh, the police response was really poor or is really poor to domestic violence. So there are a number of reasons. And then there's also the sense of embarrassment and shame, not wanting the neighbors to see the police car pull up out front and There's just a number of of reasons why, unfortunately, people who who could call the police are not doing so.
0: Well, I think that's an important... There are several important points you make that I want to call out. That uh, first thing the uh, victim and would-be survivor of domestic violence has to deal with is a sense of shame. The survivor knows that it's not right to be hit, to be called devaluing, insulting names that compare one to animals, dogs, and, 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 the, and the like, and yet the survivor says, what did I do wrong? That's maybe not the best question to ask, right? I mean, right? I mean and, and part of the commitment at Ap-Nagar and into this whole narrative and conversation is to communicate that it is not a source of shame. You've done nothing wrong. Right. Being think- providing dinner late or not cleaning or not dusting the house properly is no reason to be hit or spoken to in devaluing ways. I, I, I mean, right?
1: Absolutely. And what we tell the cl- what we tell our, our clients and what I speak about when I go out and do trainings is that we have to understand this in a larger context of a society which. At, is at every level giving the message that women should be submissive, should be pleasing in their demeanor and their appearance. And we're, you know, not promoting little girls uh, speaking up when they're hurt. We are uh, letting boys be boys when they're violent, when they're hurting girls. We are not enforcing any kind of guidelines in schools where the boys are allowed to sexually harass and sexually intimidate girls in the classroom or out in the larger community. We don't have enough community members saying to men, that's not at all okay. You cannot talk to a woman like that. You can't talk to a girl like that. And, you know, for those people who are, for those men who are abusing other men or for those women who are abusing other women, we don't have enough, messaging and enough role modeling society to say you know regardless of the gender of the abuser or of the perpetrator to say this is not okay it's unacceptable so we have clients who have been raised in a in a society in a family in a peer culture in a larger socioeconomic system which makes it very difficult for them to work and earn a livable wage Therefore, they're often economically trapped and feel that I don't have many options, I won't be believed, Um, this will shame my family back home, Um, or they have been, you know, brainwashed by their abuser to believe that it is their fault. You know, sort of nobody is questioning and rejecting the notion that boys will be boys, boys are... Just going to be violent. Well, we're questioning it on violent. this
0: show, you know, right now, right? I mean, right. boys, violence is violence, and it is unacceptable.
1: Right. I mean, there are, there are gender differences by all means. I've raised a little girl, and I see how different little yeah. boys act. You know, I I understand that we might be wired differently. However, our response to those unacceptable behaviors that pave the way. For intimidation and harassment and abuse, we have got to, we've got to pay attention and recognize what the larger repercussions are for allowing that to go unchecked. We've got to speak up and let our little boys and little girls know nobody deserves to harass another person, to make another person feel afraid, to make another person feel that uh, they should be ashamed of themselves for how they look or, or what they do or how they present themselves. We have got to let little boys and little girls and adults know it is not all right, and we cannot tolerate harassment, intimidation, abuse, control, surveillance, stalking.
0: Absolutely. I mean, this material is very rich, and you call out several important distinctions that I want to come back to. Probably we should define our terms. Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, for the some of the folks listening to our show may themselves be the victims or survivors of domestic violence. Others may be like, "Huh? What? What is that? DV? Domestic violence?" You know, we may. I mean, there is some consciousness raising that is going on. The commitment of Opnagar, the commitment of, of men and women of integrity everywhere. Do, what is domestic violence? Define our terms.
1: Generally, domestic violence refers to a pattern of intimidation, abuse, physical violence, uh, control, surveillance, in which one current or former intimate partner exerts some sort of power, control, some sort of uh, 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 advantage over the other Partner or former partner, in such a way that that per- that, that person, that victim's behavior is is limited uh, for fear of being hit, hurt, of having people or things they love being hurt, such as their children or their pets, you know, by yeah. person, the perpetrator who is making, who 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 is abusing their power and exerting their some sort of. Privilege, whether it's being physically stronger, being wealthier, having um, having a status as a citizen, being a boss, being a teacher, being a clergy, being a parent, um, being more popular in school, being the star athlete, any of those advantages over their current or former partner.
0: Got it. Well, it sounds to me like a lot of these um, criteria or standards or ways of defining domestic violence have to do with respect for boundaries. The idea of there being a boundary between you and me, like you know, we could shake hands. We, I mean, you know, and they're like that's one way of navigating and negotiating a boundary. Kind of simple-minded, but work with me on this. And and in the case of DV, in the case of domestic. Violence. There are boundary violations. People shouldn't be hit. They shouldn't be spoken to in a devaluing way. Being late with dinner. Let's just say, in a traditional family, the uh, woman is cooking dinner and cleaning houses, and the man is out earning. You know, this is less and less the case. The guys, but nevertheless. Uh, being late or not cleaning the house right is no reason to be hit. That makes no sense. That's in right. addition to being a crime, in addition to being a crime. Yeah. Another general way of describing it is as a boundary violation. And uh, so, I mean, that's my one thought. I share that for, uh, for what it's worth. And, and there are all kinds of boundary issues about how one should be respectful and not uh, address others in a devaluing way. And, um, I offer that as just my thought for your correction. So we're talking about violence, but we're also talking about financial manipulation, uh we're also talking about uh, inappropriate use of language. We're also talking about threatening to harm the pet. This is like insane. Why anybody would do that? But but it does oh, it's happen.
1: It's a common tactic amongst many abusers: financial control, uh, uh, sexual coercion, uh, making the uh, making another human being. Uh, watch or engage in sexual activities that they do not want uh, forcing them to use or not use birth control. We hear of a lot of um you know contraceptive uh, uh abuse in which p- in which women are being forced to get pregnant or not being allowed to get pregnant, I
2: you see. know
1: not having any control over their bodies or uh, you know fear of revealing that they have a sexually transmitted disease or yeah or if they have a disability, their abuser is not uh, allowing them full access to anything which uh, gives them access, you know, which, which makes them able to move, to receive medication, to receive treatment, yeah. et cetera. And it, it goes on at a longer and more egregious level for okay. women with well, a disability.
0: Well, hold that, hold that thought, Radhika, because we're going to have a sponsorship break at this point, and when we come back, Uh, We want to continue with that point. And also, I think we want to address the question, the difficult and confronting issue of how does one know if one is in an abusive relationship? Amazing. I mean, there is a pedagogy of the oppressed here. How would I know? How would one know? And so I am speaking with Rathika Sharma, Manager of Education and Training at APNAGAR. We'll be right back.
1: Now, back to the program.
0: Hi, this is Lou Augusta. Welcome back to A Rumor of Empathy. My special guest today is Rathika Sharma, the manager of education and training at Apnagar, our home, an agency that provides counseling, legal advocacy, shelter, and supervised visita- visitation to address the needs of immigrant and refugee victims of gender Based violence. I should say that the mission is not restricted to that, that Apnagar is there for anybody in the community, in particular in the uptown Edgewater, Chicago geography in which we live. But uh, before the
2: break, we were talking about how do you know if you are in an abusive relationship? What what sorts of things does one look for, Rafika? Uh,
1: there are a number of questions you can ask yourself to Determine whether or not you're being abused. If you don't already know that you're being abused, you should mm-hmm. ask yourself questions like, are you afraid of your partner? Does your partner threaten to hurt you, your pet, your children, or break things that you love? Uh, does does your partner put you down, embarrass you, humiliate you repeatedly? Does your partner force you in any way to have sex or be engaged in any kind of sexual situation that you don't want to be in? Does your partner prohibit you from using birth control or make you use birth control? Yeah. Does your partner threaten to her- to take your children uh, away? Does your That, partner that would be to very confronting, and, and I'm is-
2: getting the sense that the list is long, and this list is not complete. Another bad sign that I have uh, heard of, if your partner is uncomfortable with your being away and has right. to know where you're at at every minute. I'm going to the grocery store. Why do you need to know where I'm at? Right. I mean, I'm now speaking that, that, that in a woman's voice. But yeah, right. surveillance I mean, and, in effect, harassment and stalking. What I, so let's say, you know, even though this list is not complete and if one is not sure, one can call the hotline and ask.
1: Absolutely. And there's another hotline number, uh, Lou that I wanted to give. You know, throughout the state of Illinois, uh people can call a helpline based here in Chicago. It's uh the City of Chicago Domestic Violence Hotline and the phone number is 863 three. Six three three eight. That's eight seven seven eight six three. 6338, and that hotline has access to the at and language line where their interpreter interpreters accessible, more than 170 languages. So wow. we also encourage people to call that helpline, and every state has a domestic violence hotline of some kind. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, if a, if a person is being hit, that's pretty clear, but sometimes... If they're not sure whether it crosses the boundary, whether it crosses the line, and they would just like to talk without necessarily calling the police or, do, you know, just like confidentially, that would be, right. a, I think, a useful thing to consider. Oh,
1: absolutely. I think Okay,
2: it's so let very me move right along because, you know, given the the beauty and the miracle of technology, the clock is ticking here. Uh, I want to ask let's say that one has decided one is in an abusive relationship and one wants to get out. What I mean what's the first step? What would you what's your guidance? What what help me out here? What should one do? Leaving safety plan. I'm talking very...
1: to, uh, pardon me? I'm I'm thinking about having a safety plan. Right. Absolutely. Leaving is incredibly dangerous. Everybody needs a safety plan. Um the point of departure from an abuser can be one of the most dangerous times. Many people survive that departure, but it does have to be well thought out. Uh, You have to um, think ahead of time, have a safe place to go, have your uh, identification, your children's medicines, your medicines, um, any, you know, a, a quick change of clothes, if possible, some money, Set aside in a safe place where you can go, and you need to let people know ahead of time. And if possible, you want to try and uh, you know you could consider uh, being in public when you're uh, leaving, so that uh, you're not isolated and away from phones, from help. Uh, people who are going to leave an abusive relationship need to reach out until somebody believes them, understands them, and is willing to help them. And they do have to rely on their strong understanding of their abuser's behavior and let that guide them in terms of knowing how and when best to leave the relationship. It's not simply as easy as walking out the door. Uh, people who are abused know that their abusers have a specific set of behaviors and that they have to let that guide them or inform how they are going to leave that abusive situation. So
2: it can be a particularly, let me see if I got what you're telling me. If someone decides I can't take it anymore, I've got to get me and the children. I'm speaking in a woman's voice because 90% of batterers and abusers are men. And I got to get out of this bad situation. Well, uh, it's a dangerous, dangerous time because as the abuser loses power, the tendency to, to and for violence tends to escalate in an attempt to get whatever this thing is, power or domination back. And so one needs to have a, a safety plan, like a photo ID if you got one, right? documents for and of the children so they can go to school, keys and payment cards, like credit cards, if you've got them, and cash. Uh, Am I getting this right?
1: Absolutely, you know, yes, ID, passport, um, information on, you know, if you have a bank account, information on the bank account, things like that. And then also um, having those somewhere else where you can go, Uh, you know, a safe place where you can go. If somebody is willing to call the police, they don't have to press charges, but they can uh, go ask the police to escort them to the house. Where They won't have a lot of time, but if they want to grab a few things from the home, they can, you know, ask the police, let the police know, I need to go back to the home. My abuser is there. Um, I need somebody to be there while I, you know grab a few things. It has to be a quick encounter, but that's something that people can also consider doing.
2: And I do want to say a word on behalf of the training received by the Chicago Police Department, at least in this geography. Uh, While there's always room for improvement, and one should never forget that, and while every case is difficult and confronting, these good folks, the men and women, you can ask for a woman policeman, and they will try to send one. One can ask, uh, I mean, unlike a third-world country where if one calls police, they may be corrupt in ways that we cannot even imagine here in the USA. And they may uh, rob you. It's, like, really unbelievable and confrontingly bad. But, I mean, we are operating here, God, God, thank God, I mean, you know, in the USA and in particular in the Chicago geography where there are, I mean, I, I know uh, a, a a variety of, of officers who now not only have to enforce the law, but have to be psychotherapists, nannies, soccer coaches, cheerleaders, and now, in effect, domestic violence advocates. Uh, so... Yes, I mean, you know, while one, while one doesn't, you know, one has to be careful and, and uh, dialing 911 is not a bad idea in a lot of circumstances. The police will come and they will try to calm things down. Now, yeah, you know, I know one instance where they spent. I'm just going to finish the thought, uh, Robbie, sure. because I may. I know one instance where they sent five large male police officers, and the woman had to ask, "Well, could could you send a, a lady officer, please? I'm dealing with some stuff here."
1: And they did. That, that's a
2: complete thought.
1: Sure, sure. I, I mean, absolutely. Uh, fortunately, I've been able. The the folks whom I've encountered in the Chicago Police Department are are strong advocates, and there's domestic violence advocates within the police department who who are there to help educate the community and help um, work with domestic violence programs. Uh, There's always room for improvement. There will always, unfortunately, be those bad apples in every department. But by all means, we know that there are people working to try and improve the police response. There's a pilot project going on right now in Chicago in two police districts, and we look forward to that being taken to scale throughout the city where police will be given more guidance and um, training and coaching in the protocol and proper response. So that victims will get the correct services that are going to protect them, Yeah, well, I mean, and so
2: a safety plan is just the first step, Yes right I mean, and, and one wants to uh, reduce. The damage done in the short term, I mean, I'm inclined to say now this is, this is, you know, my thought and my association, not necessarily. But the, you know, God forbid somebody gets bruised or the blood is actually spilled, but it's more like assault and battery rather, rather than weapons violence or something like that. Uh, none of which is good. All of this is bad, very bad. Nevertheless, sometimes the bruises heal frankly, more quickly than the emotional damage, the emotional trauma, the spiritual damage done is almost over the top. Can you, I mean, so presumably, if one is, eventually one escapes, what happens then? I mean, how how to get on the road of recovery? Any thoughts on that?
1: One of the most important things is to try and reach out to services that can help and assist you and to understand that, you know, the healing will take place over the lifetime and and, um, definitely to try and form a support network uh, and to believe in yourself and to recognize how strong each individual is and how much each individual can um, uh, uh, persevere and then also to not accept no for an answer when there isn't help you know, to recognize that every survivor of abuse deserves assistance, deserves to be treated with respect, and should expect some sort of service, some sort of response, some form of support, either in the form of uh, free counseling, uh, being able to get uh, civil or uh, criminal orders of protection, or being able to um, get their children Counseling because I mean, the repercussions, as you mentioned, Lou, go throughout the lifetime. People who are subjected to trauma have much higher rates of developing chronic diseases, of engaging in uh, uh, behaviors that lead to chronic disease, substance abuse, depression. Children in homes where there's domestic violence are more likely to attempt or to commit suicide. There are a number of broad, lifelong repercussions
2: for victims
1: and witnesses of abuse. So if one is in a situation
2: where somebody is trying to hit one, knock one down, uh, the recommendation is to dial 911, to escape, to do whatever I say recommendation, one possible short-term tactic to defend oneself. Self defense is, in any case, uh, a human right. Right. Uh, is it, to take emergency measures. But once one has escaped, then one should look at something like counseling, psychotherapy, uh, finding a support group. Uh,
1: am and I to I getting have somebody right? explain to you what your rights are. Absolutely. And one other thought I wish to share
2: at this point might make sense. One of the things that's so damaging about domestic violence and intimate partner abuse is the way the would-be survivor. I would until you escape, you're a victim. As you're escaping, you're a survivor and a would-be survivor. So the language itself is important, right? Uh, one, one of the things that's so damaging is the isolation, being isolated. That one is ashamed. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Nevertheless, survivors. You know, we all do it. It's a design defect in human nature. Whereas the victim tends to blame herself, uh, and you're not to blame. But what did I do wrong? Well, you didn't actually do anything wrong. Having dinner late or not cleaning the house quite to some unimaginable standard is nothing wrong. And, and you know, I mean, it's not that there's not often lessons learned. We'll learn from experience and so on. Nevertheless, to overcome the isolation is where organizations such as APNADAR can put an individual in touch with resources, counseling, support groups, and the like, and Absolutely. legal.
1: We, we, we can't do it alone, and we do need for family members and friends, when you see a loved one who is less and less in communication with you and seems to have to spend all their time with their partner and is afraid to be away from them for a long time, if that partner is slowly breaking that your family or your friends' bonds with all of you, let them know that no matter what, they can always get in touch with you and that you will always be there for them. I mean, that is pretty much all you can do. Let them know help is available, it's not acceptable to be hurt, and that you will always be there to help them so that they know. Exactly. Well, I mean, and maybe this is a point at which I can give a shout-out to
2: men of integrity and men of all kinds. If you see something like that, an unexplained black eye, no, you didn't run into a door. I'm not buying it. One may ask a few confronting questions. Hey, I'm just curious. What is going on here? What do you think is going on here? And by the way this violent behavior is unacceptable you don't want you want your mother your sister your grandmother treated this way this makes no you know what what were you thinking and uh, i mean so there's multiple messages here obviously or maybe not obviously our first concern is for safety and and the care and and everything of the of the victim or survivor right i mean but at the same time it takes a community and i think this is one thing that's changing. Men are acknowledging responsibility in the matter in the sense that they can go places like, I don't know, locker rooms and certain kinds, I'm thinking of sports at this point, where usually it's a bunch of men. And if they hear devaluing terms about women speak up, hey, that could be my mother, my sister, my you know my cousin, Patricia, or whoever that you're talking about. I don't buy that. I don't like that. That's not going to fly around me, right? I mean, I'm making this up now, but but it takes a whole community. And so I offer that thought um, because talking about statistics, you know, the vast majority of abusers, and that's the topic and subject of our show today, are uh, men and have this uh, so to speak, I'm going to say this, this lifelong uncorrectable condition called an XY chromosome, from which, which won't kill us, but we will actually die with it. Now, this is called gender humor.
1: Right. No, and, and again, yes, we are wired differently, but we, it is up to men. This is not a women's issue. This is a human rights issue, and it is going to take men of conscience To uh, wake up and recognize the various ways that they can stop contributing to the norms and practices and laws that perpetuate intimate partner violence that keep victims from uh, being able to access justice and services. So yes, it can be the coach demanding respectful talk and behavior in the locker room and on the bus to the game. It can be a, a manager or a coworker just saying Look i, I don't want to hear that. I mean it yeah. can be done in any humorous way, but it can be somebody who's on the board of an organization saying, and what are the organization's policies around gender violence? Is there a safe space for women and girls is there do you clearly apply all of these protocols?' It's going to take men and boys in a variety of positions, and there are some great male advocates already out there of all uh, ethnic persuasions who are doing some wonderful work. We need more and more men to reach out and to and to find out if in their community, you know, where those men are, and join them and support them, or to ask the programs whether it's a sexual assault or domestic violence or teen dating violence. Or uh, a program that's addressing sexual harassment in the workplace. To ask them, how can I be of help? What can I do?
2: Well, that's such a nice point, and you know, this is a good point to give a shout out. You mentioned some men who are want, who are doing some good work. I want to give a shout out to Jackson Katz. That's K A T Z. Has a it's gone viral. His TED talk. It's a TED talk on. YouTube. Uh, if you Google or search in YouTube on violence against women, it's a man's issue. This presentation has gone viral and rightly so. It's concise, powerful, truly a learning moment. And uh, I was speaking from it earlier, so you know, put that one on the tape. Um, by all, we means, have.
1: So, so, sorry, go ahead. By all means, Jackson is wonderful. He's. He, I, I. I know Jackson personally. He's great. You've got uh, Byron Hurt and Oliver Williams who are doing a lot of work here in who is a professor at Northeastern and has done a lot of work in the Latino community and has done work on teen dating violence. Uh, Dr. Luis Vasquez, my own Rahul Sharma has studied the efficacy of intimate partner violence, uh, abuser intervention programs that are uh, designed for the Asian community, has done some wonderful... ...violence. So we've got men of all ethnicities who are doing some fabulous work, and we need more people to join them.
2: Right, and
1: Uh, uh, we have a big
2: shout of agreement on that point. And maybe uh, this is a good point to share some of the really shocking numbers around domestic violence. We're getting towards the top of the hour here, but we still have some time left, and it may be useful to let the listening audience know uh, some of the well, I mean, I, it's almost a quiz. This is not a quiz, but under domestic violence awareness. Right. Anything you'd like
1: to share with us? Some the statistics are disturbing. Of course, there are at least one in four, if not one in three, women and girls victims of violence in their lifetimes. One in men men be victims of their intimate partner violence in their lifetime. Now, wait a minute.
2: Of, you're, you're kind of breaking up there. I'll just acknowledge that, but I want to make sure I got what you said, Ratika. One in four women in their lifetime will be the target, or as you say, the victim, or maybe the survivor, depending on one's terminology here, i go with survivor, of intimate partner violence.
1: Right. One in four of severe violence, and we know that to be one in three of any type of of abuse. We know that domestic violence and dating violence and sexual assault are also um, at a very high rate for young women and young men. We know that there are approximately one in seven men uh, will be the victims of severe uh, violence committed by a current or former intimate partner. We know that of all committed by someone who is known to the victim, the majority of those murders are domestic violence homicides.
2: That is really shocking. I mean, I want to stop you there. Once again, of women who are the victims of homicide, and in this case, victim is the right word because they do not survive, uh, there, 26% of them, something like a quarter, are killed by their intimate partner that is appalling, that is unacceptable. We are taking a stand against that. And while we do, I want to say to the listening audience, you know, to err is human, to really screw things up requires a computer. And it seems as though some aspects of our conversation today have been, uh, uh, so to sp- speak, struck dumb and affected, impacted is the word, by... Uh, the large computer network that we're on. And so, you know, thanks for bearing with us during this tough and important talk. Um, so call to action here, Rafika. If you're in Chicago today, Wednesday, you can come to Taste for Life at the Cultural Center tomorrow, May 7th, uh, starting at about, I want to say, 6 p.m. Maybe i got the time off yeah. but slightly, but... Um, and. If you are inspired to get involved, whether it's financially or with your time, www.apnagar one word a p n is in Nebraska a is in Apple g is in George h is in Henry r a dot org. Uh, Oh, that's a r dot org. Apna g h a p n a g h a r. Dot org. Am I getting this right? Correct. Thank you. And I want also to express my thanks to you, Rafika, Rafika Sharmad, Manager, Coordinator of Education at Apnagar, for having the conversation today about this important work and the challenging subjects. The rumor of empathy at Apnagar, let me say it, ladies and gentlemen, is no rumor. Empathy lives at Apnagar, and in the work, you, Rathika, Sharma, Neha Gill, and the other colleagues are doing there. So we're coming up on the top of the hour, and I want, once again want to thank you for joining me. I want to give a shout also and an invitation to join me next week, same time, Wednesday noon live and replay, when my special guest will be Michael Boyland, author, Natural Human Rights, An interesting segue with our show today, we will engage the vexing subject, are you still a human being worthy of empathy if you try to escape from a bad situation in a foreign land far away, or even a bad situation in Chicago and end up without a government-issued photo ID. Please join me then. See you next week.
1: you for tuning in to a rumor of empathy with lou augusta please join us again next wednesday at 10 a.m pacific time 1 p.m eastern time on the voice america empowerment channel we hope to see you again next week